is If I Were You, an antitrust podcast and blog series about competition risks that companies are facing. And in five bullets or less, how in-house lawyers can explain those risks to the business side. I'm Molly Donovan, your host, counsel of Bona Law. Today, we're going to do something a bit different. This episode's for anyone interested in the situation involving the PGA Tour and the upstart golf league called Live Golf. It's a really interesting situation from an antitrust perspective, and because the events are unfolding right now, we wanted to podcast about it um, while everything is so current, even though it doesn't quite fit our normal template where we'd give advice to in-house lawyers. So with me today to talk about golf is Lou Kaskamp. He's a partner at Bona Law. Luke is a litigator with a lot of experience in all phases of litigation and government investigations. Luke has litigated antitrust as well as class action and civil RICO cases. And relevant to today's discussion, Luke knows a lot about the intersection of sports and antitrust, and that's an area where I've, I've done litigation as well. We're still going to follow our five bullet format. So Luke, what I've done is put together five bullets. They're sort of the need to know when it comes to the PGA Tour situation. And Luke, then I'll ask you to comment on each one of those. So let's get started. Bullet one, the PGA Tour is the major purchaser of golf talent, at least in the United States. If you're a pro golfer, it's pretty much the only game in town where you wanna play. That makes the PGA a monopolist. Luke? Uh, yeah, thanks, Molly. Thanks for, for having me on. Nice to chat with you. So, so that's right. So if you're an elite golfer, a professional golfer, you know, playing in the United States, really the only, you know, quote unquote employer for your services is the PGA Tour. Um, and what gets confused here maybe is that it's not, you know, illegal to be a monopolist in and of itself, you know, being a monopolist, having a monopoly could be the result of a number of legitimate things, you know, legitimate competition, you just have the best product or provide the best service or just even a simple historical accident put you in that position. But what's not okay is to be a monopolist and then to misuse your your power, your dominant market position to restrain competition to, to, you know, you can't do improper things in an attempt to hold on to your monopoly and to keep competitors, you know, your competition out. And so in this situation, I think it's pretty clear that the PGA Tour is <clears throat> a monopolist. You know, it has no meaningful competition when it comes to pro golf in the United States. Um, and, and as a side, I think it's probably technically a, a, a monopsonist. It's the only purchaser of, of those professional golf services in the U.S. And so the, the interesting question here is whether the PGA Tour is, is using its dominant market position to box out live golf, you know, a would-be competitor in this market for professional golf services. Um, and, and is doing so unfairly. Okay, and that takes me right to bullet two, um, which is what the PGA has done in terms of conduct. It's suspended 17 pro golfers who decided to play in the first live golf event, which was held a few weekends ago. Uh, the PGA is making it clear that golfers cannot do both. They cannot both play for the PGA and play in live events. 
So the relevant question is whether that type of conduct is prohibited by the antitrust laws. Luke, what do you think about that? Yeah, it, it, exactly. Great question. I, I, I think first people may be wondering why a pro golfer would play in a live golf event if it's going to result in potentially harsh discipline. And the answer, I think, is that live golf is offering players a lot of money, um, not just for winning an event or, or doing well, but even if they just participate. We saw with the first event, a uh, guy named Charles Schwartzel, I think out of South Africa, uh, he won what they call the richest tournament in golf history. He took home 4.75 million, you know, after the, the three-day tournament, which I think was more than he had won in the last four years combined playing professionally. And, 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 and then I mentioned just the, the, for the participants, some players have been offered um, and reportedly paid massive signing bonuses or, or contracts simply for agreeing to participate in events for a certain period of time. We heard that uh, Dustin Johnson, one of the elite players, received over $125 million. Uh, and Phil Mickelson, a, a longtime star on the PGA Tour, reportedly received in the $200 million range. Uh, and, and so, you know, going back to your, your question, are the suspensions an antitrust violation? You know, I think there are a number of folks who would view the PGA tourist conduct as, you know, potentially anti-competitive. They are punishing players who are choosing to play for a competitor. Um, antitrust laws like conduct that is, you know, pro-competitive, that, that's mm -hmm. good for competition, but that doesn't feel like that here. There are pro-competitive steps that the PGA Tour could take uh, to retain the best golfers, you know, could raise competition, raise tournament purses, um, create more opportunities, otherwise enhance, you know, the, the work environment for its players. <clears throat> and admittedly, that we've seen the PGA Tour do some of that recently, or at least announce some of those steps. They've talked about raising tournament purses for future events, creating a new series of tournaments aimed at the best golfers on tour, the, the very elite, uh, and those very players that Live Golf is trying to poach. And right again, we, we like, antitrust laws like pro-competitive activity like that. But punishing players who are choosing to participate in a rival's events is probably going to be pretty hard to justify, um, particularly when you have the monopoly power that the PGA Tour has. I think a lot would argue that that conduct seems designed to, to stifle a would-be competitor, you know, not by competing on the merits, but through the misuse of uh, that monopoly power. Okay, so then let's talk about who could challenge um, the suspensions or the threat of suspensions. And this is bullet three. It sounds to me like the PGA Tour could be challenged in an antitrust case by players affected. 
or um, by Live Golf. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, to, to bring an antitrust claim, um, you know, I think you you need to be a consumer or a competitor in the relevant market with the, the legalese that antitrust law requires. So, so Live Golf is the competitor. And uh, in this situation, in this market, I, I think a player who's you know, suspended or facing a suspension would be treated as the consumer, so to speak. And to have a legitimate complaint about this against the tour, do you have to be one of the 17 guys who've been suspended? Uh, so no. So, and I think that seven, that number 17 is has increased a bit as um, I, I think more people have defected or announced their defections. Um, to use the terminology that the media has been using a bit, but, but no, if, if you're a member of the PGA tour, who's considering playing in, in live golf events um, and your injury is quote unquote imminent, you know, maybe you haven't been suspended yet, but you you're being threatened with suspension. You know, that threat is, is real. Um, you can sue for you know what is called an injunctive relief an injunction. And here's what I mean by that. So if you're a golfer in this situation, what you you know might be asking is what you really want. Is it that you want to play for both the PGA Tour and live golf without the threat of discipline? You know, in that sense, what you really want is for the PGA Tour to be stopped, to to be prevented from you know kicking you off. You know you're maybe not as much worried about the, the money damages you could get, um, particularly if you haven't been suspended yet. And so seeking an injunction would be a way to go. There, you know, So you aren't spending months, maybe years of you know, time in court during the potentially the prime of your career waiting for a decision. Uh, an injunction would be decided, I think, a lot more quickly um, than a, a full case would through trial. Okay, bullet four. Right now, it looks as though the tour's conduct vis-a-vis players is unilateral. In other words, the tour has announced its own policy to punish players who choose to participate in live events or defect, as you say. The, the situation would be different, though, if the tour agreed with a player or an agent, for example, not to deal with live. And Luke, can you explain big picture why that is? Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. So in that case, you would have a, you know, a bilateral or, or two-party agreement you know, not to deal. Um, agreements like that, you know, between the PGA Tour and player would be, you know, what we call vertical vertical agreements. And those agreements are un- analyzed under something called the rule of reason to determine their legality. Uh, to pass that rule of reason test, at the end of the day, a court would um, have to decide that the agreements you know, pro-competitive benefits uh, outweigh any anti-competitive harms. 
you know, that analysis gets complicated, um, a lot of evidence on both sides. And I, I think the bottom line for today, though, is that, you know, players and agents and I mean, really anyone should be wary of agreeing, um, you know, with another party, including with each other, not to deal with the upstart league it, it that's um, there's antitrust risk there there's there's legal risk there and it's probably best not to go down that road all right i'm going to change it up a little bit for bullet five what if the pga tour agrees with its counterpart leagues in europe for example that players should get suspended for dealing with live yeah, great question. I, I think that is is going to be one of the the really interesting questions here. There, there's a lot of other actors in the professional golf world, professional golf market. There's a professional league in Europe, the the DP World Tour, uh, I think it's called. And 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 so anyway, in in that case, what we're talking about again are agreements, but those are between horizontal actors to exclude a rival, um, to exclude a competitor. And antitrust laws really do not like agreements between two or more competitors that restrict competition. You know, the, the, a classic example is competitors getting together to, to fix prices. You know, the, the two dominant, you know, producers of, of milk, you know, deciding what they're going to charge for milk. Um, those agreements are considered per se illegal under the antitrust laws in the United States. You know, in, in other words, the more complex, messy rule of reason analysis gets thrown out the window. Um, and, and that would present a, a pretty precarious situation, uh, I, I think, potentially for the, the PGA Tour. And it will be interesting to, you know, see how that plays out because there's a lot of interaction between those various entities in the golf world. You know, we mentioned the, the DP world tour, the European tour. It's I think the clearest example uh, of that, but you have other entities like the, the PGA of America, the United States golf association association, you know, even the masters golf tournament that, that work closely with the PGA tour and are also confronting the emergence of live golf and and considering whether to allow you know live golf participants to, to play in their events as well you know and if if those entities agree with the PGA tour to, to bar live golf participants it it it's certainly going to raise antitrust eyebrows yeah i it, it is extremely interesting and I can't wait to see how it unfolds. Luke, before we sign off, do you have any final comments that you'd like to make? Well, I, you know, I, I, I guess I would just reiterate the point you were making at the beginning. I, th I think we covered a lot, um, but it's, it's going to be a dynamic situation um, with, I think, changes coming seemingly on a daily basis. Live Golf had its... Um, second event last weekend the, in a couple weeks is the British Open, the last major of the year. And, and after that, we may see, I think, even more players defect to the league. But, you, you know, who knows? Um, but 
you know, although it it may not feel that way, just based on what we've all discussed, we both discussed this, you know, today, I don't think litigation is inevitable or the only way to resolve these disputes. You know, I think, I think both sides, especially players, may be reluctant to turn to the courts and, and for a lot of good reasons. And as we see in other sports where players, you know, sometimes with the help of counsel will appeal punishments, negotiate reductions, um, pass forward. You know, we may see something like that here. Um, though, again, it's, it's probably too early to tell for sure. And, you know, so with that, Molly, uh, thanks a lot for, for having me on. It was a lot of fun to talk with you. Yeah, thanks so much. And um, this ends our episode. Um, again, I'm Molly here with Luke. If you have questions about the golf situation, you can email either one of us and our info is on bonalaw.com. Thank you.